Hello, my name is Cassie Defero, and I'd like to talk to you about Thread Stripe. Now, this is not a podcast exclusively for the communities represented by the rainbow flag. However, I hope you'll indulge me as I discuss it. The red stripe is traditionally the top of the pride flag. The pride flag is intended to represent a unity of all parts of the communities that rally beneath it. This unity has proven to be more aspirational than actual, but with the advent of the Philadelphia variant, black and brown have been added to the top of the flag as a corrective for unexamined racism. The original flag was designed by Gilbert Baker. According to the foundation in his name, the red stripe stood for life. When we say life, we can mean the simple fact of being alive, cells functioning, blood pumping, air coming in and out of our lungs. A life where a person's work has meaning and our labor serves ourselves and our communities rather than buying billionaires' yachts and jets. This life means that science and technology uplifts poor, working-class, oppressed nationalities, oppressed peoples, rather than war, devastation, and empire. As Chairman Huey P. Newton of the Black Panther Party said, quote, The people have the right to the best that technology can give, unquote. This technology and the resources it allows us to produce can feed all, clothe all, put all into a safe, dignified shelter. We can work to turn back the worst of the incipient climate catastrophe. We can provide medical care for every human being while advancing medical science. But... We cannot do this under capitalist dominance. Capitalism is the rule of billionaires, financiers, and Wall Street. This gets to what I mean by the red stripe. As I'm creating this, we're in a remarkable moment. The novel coronavirus is spreading around the world. Here where I live, we're ordered to stay indoors if possible with police and sheriff departments authorized to enforce this. But at the same time, looking around the United States, I'm seeing evictions, foreclosures, utility shutoffs temporarily halted. Some areas are putting unhoused people in hotels and other safe, dignified dwellings. This begins to show a bare sliver of what is possible. On the other hand, this is a temporary measure, Eventually, the evictions will resume where they've been halted, water and power will be shut off again, banks will foreclose and seize property, unhoused people now given emergency shelter will be forced back on the streets. Evictions that have been put on hold will resume, compounded because people have been forced to stay home from work without pay. Wall Street is not interested in human flourishing. Indeed, it requires that there be inequality. There are CEOs of corporations who don't work as hard during their entire life as their lowest paid worker does in a day. 
It's workers who create their wealth yet don't share in it. Instead, we're allotted a mere sliver in the form of wages, which allows us to survive so that we can keep showing up for work. That's as much wealth as is allowed to belong to most. Now, there is a so-called middle class, a labor aristocracy that gets a little more, therefore providing a buffer between rulers and exploited masses. These are people who are comfortable enough to be invested in the rule of capital as to defend it, regardless of people sleeping on the streets in even the strongest capitalist welfare state. The middle class is divided from the rest as a buffer, and that's not the only division that capitalism requires. Capitalism didn't invent bigotry, but it requires it. The multinational poor, working class, and oppressed peoples are a juggernaut. Should we ever unite, wealth and power would be right to tremble before us. However, this requires solidarity, and that means that in order to improve our lot, we must reject all divisions. Racism, misogyny, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, homophobia, transphobia, and all the assorted hatreds that infect our culture are the wedges that divide us and fracture our strength. There's always talk among some self-professed leftists about tolerating racist jokes in order to appeal to whites, but this is chauvinistic. It assumes that whites are uniquely valuable to a revolutionary project. This thinking also results in calls to tolerate transphobic attitudes so as not to alienate the working class. But this, too, is accepting division under the misguided belief that appeasing ignorance creates a stronger, liberatory coalition. We have to push back on the self-defeating idea that some segments are less important to our project because our numbers are smaller, or that we can be discarded for some notion of a greater good. All hands on deck are needed in order to win a better world. In our struggle, we need to recognize that those hurt most deeply by the injustices of a cruel system have the least to lose by its perpetuation and the most to gain by its removal and replacement. People such as these often prove to be the most determined, to give and sacrifice the most, to be willing to take the biggest risks to win a better world. They can't and must never be taken for granted. Rather than cater to and appease reactionary elements, we must undertake as a collective project the uplift of the consciousness of all. We need to patiently and kindly, but also firmly and thoroughly educate people and teach them that solidarity is the tool we need in order to win, and without it, the follies and cruelties of this system remain in place. Puerto Rican transgender revolutionary, Young Lords member, and Stonewall veteran Sylvia Rivera puts the reactionary notions I described to the lie in an interview where she said, quote, 
We were all involved in different struggles, including myself and many other transgender people. But in these struggles, in the civil rights movements, in the war movements, in the women's movements, we were still outcasts. The only reason they tolerated the transgender community in some of these movements was because we were gung-ho, we were frontliners, we didn't take no shit from nobody, we had nothing to lose." Unquote. In the spirit of Rivera and Stonewall, we must remember the unity represented in the rainbow flag and reject all divisions. And of all the original colors, we must look to the red. The red is the stripe that bears the color of class struggle. We must look to the red stripe and remember that while celebratory and defiant dancing in the streets certainly took place during those nights of militant struggle half a century gone, it was not about that. Stonewall was a rebellion. It was a popular uprising. Stonewall was a moment when the community said no more and fought the armed institutions that enforced our subjugation. We fought against police terror. We fought to end incessant torture, rape, and cower behind a badge and a sidearm. These were nights when the fire of Molotov cocktails lit the darkness and a clash between police and revolutionaries raged. Look to the stripe that is the color of the blood that was spilled that night and do not fail to understand who this crowd consisted of. The Stonewall Inn was not the place of an elegant dinner party. This was a bar of the working class, of people living on the streets, of sex workers and people struggling for that next meal. Those who gathered there were largely people of color and frequently existed under the trans umbrella. The bar was owned by organized crime and shaken down by police via their regular brutalizing of the patrons, thereby denying the owners a night of profit. Yet, this was one of the few places for an oppressed people to find solace and solidarity against a violently hostile world. Look to the Red Stripe. Recall how Stonewall was a time when an ice-cold class war flared hot, marking a remarkable and previously unimaginable moment when those the police derided as fairies forced those thugs for just a moment into retreat. Heirs to the Stonewall must remember our origins in militant, counteroffensive organization and rebellion. Look to the red stripe and reflect on the power that flows from oppressed peoples acting as one in common purpose and solidarity. Know that working class, poor, and oppressed peoples have fought back before and can fight back again. It's in the spirit of the red stripe that I intend to commit my thoughts to the internet. It is with revolutionary love that I address you, friends and comrades, and invite you into the struggle for a better and more just world. Solidarity always, solidarity forever. My name is Cassandra Devereaux, and this is the first episode of the Red Stripe Podcast.